Hey everyone, and welcome to the latest Digital Foundry Direct Weekly. And uh, yeah, huge amount of stuff to get through this week. So let's get into it. But first of all, let me introduce my hashtag friend and colleague, John Linneman. <laughs> hey Rich, I guess you could almost say, as always, I think I've been on almost every one of these so far. Yeah, yeah, I think we've both both missed just one. Yep, and, that's right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, of course, a DF Direct Weekly wouldn't be complete without Alex Patalia. Yeah, I think I've missed one or two. I actually can't even remember anymore. Yeah, you've been on most of these yeah. as well, I feel. It's, it's the thing we do. Uh, and as I said in the uh, chat this morning, Alex, I really like talking to no, you, so thank welcome. You. Thank you. <laughs> let's, let's, let's jump straight into the news. Uh, I think we should begin with uh, the biggest game release, uh, Resident Evil Village. Lots to talk about on this one. Uh, the main video will be up now. And um, I'm interested in your thoughts about this because both of you guys actually covered this game. I looked at the demo. John, what do you think? So I do like the game a lot. I think it's it turned out great. Um, and for the first video that's already up on the channel, obviously we focused on uh, the three new generation consoles because it's pretty clear that trying to tackle every console in one video is... Um, it's it's not so it's not so simple, and I'd rather get the information out as fast as possible. Um, but uh, you know, in general, I think Capcom did a phenomenal job with the optimization in this on most platforms, and we finally have the full answer to that table they released a while ago with the uh, confusing oh, yeah. 4K 45 and the 1440p 30 stuff. And I mean, what we've learned is that the game just doesn't actually have a frame rate cap. So it just kind of runs mm -hmm. runs unlocked on everything. And anything that said something, something 30 is actually more like uh, 25 to 40. Just kind of super variable. So that's like the Xbox Series S, which I tested in ray tracing mode. It's really bad. <laughs> it's very unstable. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the other, the other two consoles, though, did really well in this uh, regard. Um, mostly like throughout the duration of the game, they actually mostly hit 60 FPS with ray tracing enabled, except in specific sequences. Like there's certain, like you kind of saw one in the demo where you're just in the village area. When you look in a certain direction, you get drops. Uh, there's also that specific scene at the end where you go through the window, there's drops, you know, stuff like that. But then, uh, there's this one lake sequence that was pretty heavy that th this is the heaviest part in the whole game by far where the frame rate is just under 60 most of the time. Uh, and it shows that the, the Xbox has a slight advantage here. Um, but it looks, um, it, it is, it's, it's an interesting scene because there's the last part in my video. I originally showed it. I actually had to, it's during the actual boss battle. I had to blur out the, uh, the sequence and put some text over it to say, see the results in the DF weekly. And that's because, uh, I was afraid of, uh, crossing the embargo or something. It yeah. wasn't clear what they meant about a certain section. So I was like, well, we better play it safe. So here it is. This is what I was talking about. <laughs> it's that it's this boss battle here. And specifically with, uh, this acid rain effect that drops where suddenly you have like rain particles everywhere. Uh, you know, it's already a heavy sequence with ray trace reflections in the water, and it just kind of tanks the frame rate pretty hard on on all the machines. So, but but honestly, you know, aside from that, like performance aside, and I will say, like without ray tracing, the performance is so good in this game. It's it's basically flawless. Like it's so perfect in a way that we don't usually see, and I think it kind of you know 
Capcom deserves some serious uh, credit for that, for actually delivering what is effectively a locked 60 frames per second experience. But beyond that, the game itself is just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of notes about this. I, I do want to talk about the raid facing because um, uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of it, and I really want your input on this. But first of all, um, you're talking about a locked 60 frames per second there, John. And you're right, it is. Uh, Series X, PS5, and uh, Series S gets pretty close with Raid Facing Off. But when you compare Raid Facing On to Raid Facing Off on Series S, there's a big gulf there. So I'm wondering what the, if that difference actually translates onto the Series X and the PS5, and whether what we're actually seeing with that locked 60 frames per second is actually a huge amount of overhead that isn't being tapped into. Oh, I, I'm sure there is a huge amount of overhead, which is why we're getting there, I'd say. But, uh, you know, the ray tracing is is kind of done in a way that it's it's relatively lightweight, I think. And this is how they're able to target 60 at such a high resolution. So, you know, the, the actual reflections are like one eighth resolution or something, like very low res. And it seems to scale with your output res. So like Series S, the reflections are lower res still because 1440. Um, but honestly, so... It's weird. The reflections I don't think are great, but the local GI stuff is, is actually pretty nice. Uh, I think Alex and I have talked a lot about this, kind of going back and forth with just... It does kind of give you a little bit of that bounce lighting from some local lights. And, like, I did an example in the video where you could see the sun... Well, the overcast sky coming in through a window. There's no artificial lights in the room. It sort of bounces off this green tablecloth and gives this area kind of a nice hue... Uh, and also stuff with like foliage where, um, you know, this was, a, this was actually a huge one where when you use the non-ray tracing mode, they just use their screen space AO solution. And as is often the case, it kind of draws these like black outlines around foliage and you can actually see it separated slightly from the branches. Uh, and that's correctly shadowed with ray tracing enabled. But I will say this with the caveat, when you actually look closely, the differences are clear. But when you're actually just playing the game, it actually feels pretty subtle in a way where it's like, uh, if you're not looking for it, it looks really good either way. So it's kind of like, um, this is one case where I might say that you'd want to play with ray tracing off just to get that perfect frame rate. But I kind of went back and forth because, you know, sometimes it was fun to see the difference. But in general, this isn't like a game changer, like with say Metro Exodus, where that the new remastered version where like it's like night and day. Like, it's such a huge leap forward in terms of visual fidelity. Uh, this is not that kind of a difference. But it is nice. But I guess the, the big thing, though, is that obviously this was limited for consoles in some ways, um, as we can see. But Alex, you've been testing the PC version and have found some uh, not-so-positive things, I guess. Yeah, uh, I do feel like uh, they do deserve some praise for implementing two ray tracing features. And I think... Scene dependent, uh, it can be pretty pretty nice change, uh, especially the ray tracing GI component. Um, but uh, I think the thing I found out really easily on PC, and you'll see it in my video when it comes out, and uh, it explains a lot of the game's performance, um, that it doesn't scale really at all any higher than the console versions. And to just give a sense of what I mean, if I put the... Uh, a really high-end GPU to the console settings uh, that I've derived so far, 
the game essentially on like an RTX 30 class, 3080 class GPU is not going above like 30 to 40% GPU utilization at like at 4K output. So it's it, those are the highest settings uh, for the ray tracing essentially. The, the, that's kind of my problem with the ray tracing implementation on PC is that sure it runs well, but you can see the quality uh, the quality concerns really easily in a lot of cases, uh, especially at high PC output resolutions and things like that. And there's no way to go above these uh, limitations that are kind of set by this lowest common denominator of the consoles. And that is just a bit of a shame because, you know, on PC, you want this game to scale over time really well. And the only way to really do that now with the current way the game's programmed is to increase the output resolution insanely. And that doesn't seem well, very... you got to get to 8K. Yeah, I did try running the game at 8K. <laughs> Finally, the reflections look okay. Uh, but, you know, uh, that's about it. And uh, I think... I, I guess to be fair, though, Alex, as you play the game, I will say, the I think the reflections are the weakest part yeah. of the RT, as we kind of suggested. But... There's not that many reflections, I guess, and most of them are on objects that are kind of um, just the way the surfaces work. It's not that noticeable. Uh, it's really just like some of the water looks bad. See, I, I think. think that's the big problem. I see. That's I, my disagreement with you there is that it's yeah, it's not noticeable since there's so few objects. But I just really dislike that you can see the pixel pattern in the reflection. Oh, the pixel structure. You can see yeah. that, and a lot of other RT reflections don't have this issue because they're like blending more. They're, they're using a little bit more, I don't know, they're not leaving the pixel structure <clears throat> so that's visible. Right. And that's, that, I that will say, this feels, like a, this feels like a mode designed for console or TV play, because when I played on the TV, I could tell that they were chunkier, but the pixel structure wasn't really evident from the viewing distance. But as soon as I uh, started looking at it on my PC monitor from normal view distance there, it's pretty Yeah, bad. and it, it, it leaves <laughs> uh, like aliasing on edges that looks really yeah. not good. And, Oh yeah, the teapot at the beginning, especially. There's all those like harsh steps around the edge of the polygons that just looks. Yeah, it's not I just, good. I would just, it feels like this game is, you know, it doesn't scale high enough to, especially what Nvidia hardware can do. Uh, like it would be nice if there was a full resolution ray tracing option to help mitigate these issues and also uh, give you know players with uh, higher end PCs a little bit more room to scale because it doesn't scale very well. And getting over to other aspects of the PC port, which <clears throat> don't want to preempt my video fully, but um, this is a AMD Fidelity FX sponsored title. So we do get things like what looks to be my voice. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> what looks to be your voice? It looks to be my voice. <laughs> a variable rate shading tier two is in there as well as uh, Fidelity FX sharpening, but there are some issues with these implementations, I'm not sure if the anti-aliasing is working correctly in the game, which has some side effects for some of the ray tracing noise, as well as some other things. And uh, I'm not sure if VRS tier two is implemented in a way that I'm very proud of. Uh, I don't know, you'll have to see my video for it uh, when it does come out, but I just feel like the, there's a lot of really great stuff in this PC version of Resident Evil. Uh, village that I've played so far, but there's so many other decisions which seem kind of arbitrarily limited or also some of the The, the menu is bafflingly good and bafflingly great, uh, terrible at the same time uh, Like uh, let me just give the example so you can You can usually navigate menus on PC just with a keyboard uh, Here you can kind of do that but every single time you want to leave a sub menu, you have to click the right mouse button 
I've never ever seen that anywhere before. There's no keyboard key to get out of the menu you're in. So it's like designed around a gamepad, but not. Uh, it's so weird. Um, what about the uh, the AA situation? Did you ever figure that uh, out? I don't know what to make of it yet. I'm still, there is anti-aliasing applying to the image, uh, but at the same time, there is no obvious uh, temporal component that seems to be working correctly, which has some side effects, I think. Um, but the, one, there's no ghosting at all, which is, I guess, a positive side effect. But at the same time, you're getting a lot more aliasing in the image than you usually would. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure things like the the noise in reflections, the noise, well, not less the noise in reflections because they're already really noisy, but like the, the, the shadow dithering is a little bit more intense on PC, I would say, as a result, as well as... Um, I'm pretty sure the film game option is completely broken as a result of this. It doesn't look right at all. Uh, I, I think the film game was designed with some sort of temporal component in mind. Uh, I, it seems like a bug, though, to uh, me, because like almost because the, there is TA on the console. For sure, version, for sure, yeah. But uh, it, So it doesn't make sense. It would just be absent from the PC. So hopefully that'll get fixed. I hope so. <laughs> I'm, I'm just loving this menu navigation. I'm reminded of uh, the bit in Star Trek Four where Scotty talks to the computer through the mouse. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the UI is just totally counterintuitive <laughs> to what you expect. It's exactly and, that. Uh, all, all I've got to say, really, from what I saw on the raid facing is that... Um, uh, in, I only played the demo, and in the demo, you know, you go into that truck and you've got the rear view mirror, and it looks awful. It doesn't, you know, the whole point of raid facing is that you're getting um, a kind of certain level of fidelity in reflections uh, when it, when it's deployed on reflections. And I, I just looked at that and thought, that doesn't look like raid facing. And when you look at the computational hit, um, it's very low. You just think, yeah, yeah you know, it's bizarre. Um, yeah, so hope they do some more work on that and i'm also kind of um again it kind of highlights to me when there's an amd sponsored title mm -hmm. um, what we're missing when we don't have dlss and this opens up a whole yeah. debate oh, about yeah, this is... about the fact that you can never have dlss in an amd sponsored title and if you've got an nvidia gpu you kind of feel that you're really missing out now this isn't you know, Capcom's fault, I don't think. Mm -mm. I'm not sure you, we can actually blame AMD for it. I mean, it's just the, this bizarre situation we have where one of the most desirable features in a PC game can't be available on all titles because of the proprietary nature of the technology. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really weird situation we're in at the moment. You know, it's kind of almost a, a transitionary phase um, but but it you know something along the lines of what happened with G-Sync, where this was a proprietary technology, it eventually became um, a standard uh, that everybody could tap into. Right. But for the time, but this is even more impactful because DLSS is a game changer, mm -hmm. you know, across the board. You know, arguably more so than raid facing at the moment. I think in terms of certainly in terms of popular perception, for sure. So yeah, it's, it's kind of kind of bizarre. This uh, I'm, I haven't seen your your video for PC yet. It hasn't even finished no. yet as we filmed this. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that, and um, also to see how the consoles uh, stack up versus PC hardware because we've not actually seen the RE engine uh, deployed with raid facing on PC before. Right? Yeah, I have not yet. Yeah. First time. That's right. First time. Okay. Well, let's move on um, and check out the second news piece.
And yes, the second news piece, um, I really wanted to talk about this last week in last week's DF Direct Weekly, but because we had early access to the patrons, they would have been privy to embargo <laughs> information that we couldn't share on the Saturday. Kind of bizarre. But uh, basically, Microsoft FPS Boost, uh, they've gone nuclear. 74 titles uh, upgraded, and I think there's like 96 or 97 in total now supported. Um, I played a bunch of them last weekend. I still need to figure out. I mean, this is the thing. There's so much content uh, that's been upgraded. Uh, I'm kind of struggling to figure out how we're going to cover it. Um, but John, what do you reckon about this? Well, I think as far as coverage goes, it's not really necessary to cover them all. <laughs> no, it's not. Or but, anywhere yeah. near. <laughs> but there's so most much of these, stuff in there. Like, the story is usually just like, oh, it runs at 60 frames per second now, which is awesome. But like... There's usually not much more to it. It's more like the unique situations. Like I think one of the ones that that was impressive is um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, where that was actually so. Here, many of these titles, when they add FPS boost, uh, if you're playing on Series X, they fall back to the Xbox One base mode, mm -hmm. which so that means reduced resolution, detail, and all that in trade for a higher frame rate. But Shadow of the Tomb Raider is one of the examples where you retain all the 1x enhancements in the higher resolution and the frame rate has been boosted. And it looks really nice that That's way, nice. I have to say. Mm -hmm. I checked it out after uh, Richard was like, you should look at that. I was like, yeah, this is a... <laughs> this. I mean, it, it basically feels like a proper, I guess, now current gen conversion of the game, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm reminded of uh, stuff like the, um, you know, the Ratchet and Clank and God of War upgrades on PlayStation yeah, 5. It's exactly like that. Yeah, it feels like that. Mm. Yeah, where essentially just the doubling of frame rate because the you know the rendering engines there were so forward looking, and because the content was so well authored, um, just the upgrade to frame rate really does allow everything to shine to to a hitherto unseen degree. Well, I'll say unseen. Uh, obviously, if you had the PC version, you could have um, you could have aimed for that. But uh, I'll tell you what, Alex, a while back. I tried to use your uh, console equivalent settings on PC, and it seemed to be much, much heavier uh, than it was, you know, in terms of uh, relative power on the consoles. It seemed to require a much more powerful GPU to get the job done there. So that was even more of a surprise when I saw that um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider was actually running really, really nicely on Series X. And, and yeah, John, you're right. There's this kind of... Um, when Microsoft announced FPS Boost, it was like, okay, 2x frame rate, this is going to be really good. Um, but with a, a lot of the FPS Boost titles on Series X, it is dropping down to the 1s code path. And yeah. what this is actually producing is actually, um, it's like, you know, the legacy of the Xbox One and its performance limitations it's, it's actually, coming back to haunt us. It's actually having implications for Series X in the current generation. And I think Far Cry 5 is an interesting one, right? Because um, that kind of came out very at a very similar time point to uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Yeah. So on the one hand, we've got Shadow of the Tomb Raider. It's, it's not quite 4K60, but it's as good as. And then with Far Cry, um, you are getting a really good locked 60 frames per second. But you're getting like 1440 by 1080. Yeah. And quite a bit low. It's it doesn't. I mean, it's it it's not a no brainer at that point, is it? Yeah, that's kind of. So it really is kind of hit or miss. I'd say depending. It was the same with 
Titanfall 2 was interesting where that was 120 hertz, right? And I tried that out myself and I was like, it feels really great, but it really loses a lot of image quality. And it's just kind of, so it feels like it would be interesting if there was some way to find a middle ground there. I don't know if that's mm. feasible or not, but like, um, I, don't, I don't know. But I guess, you know, on the flip side, there's there's smaller titles that really benefit a lot that you might not expect. Like Hollow Knight, for instance, got a 120 hertz update. And that's a game that just, you know, that looks phenomenal on any platform due to the nature of its art. And that feels so good at 120 hertz. 120 hertz for platform games is actually one of the best uses of 120 hertz, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They just feel so good and responsive. I really like that. I was also, mm-hmm. some of these titles also, like, you know, like uh, Deus Ex Mankind Divided's on here. And that initially confused me because I was like, wait, that that received enhancements. And it's like, wait, no, it was, no. it was 2016. So it got a PS4 pro patch, but it never got a one X patch, right. unfortunately. So it's, it is kind of one of those situations where you have to go through this with a kind of a, a fine tooth comb and look over it. Uh, although I will say what, one of the ones, I guess it's kind of interesting is Assassin's Creed unity was on here. And that one, we had shown that early on as a uh, supporting 60 Hertz. If you played off the disc because the frame rate was uncapped but the original launch version is very buggy. So now they've essentially unlocked it so you can get 60 hertz on both Series X and Series S, and um, it uh, is the latest version, so a lot of the bugs are essentially fixed. So that's actually one of the last um, Assassin's Creed games that I enjoyed. It has its problems, but I kind of like it. So, you know, there's actually a really curious case in there with, what was it, Gears of War 4? Oh, that yeah. one's a little confusing. Yep. I don't actually know what that is because I need to check that out. I, I didn't check it out, unfortunately. But uh, there already was a 60 FPS mode in One X. Yeah, uh, that's right. So I guess this is taking the One X 30 FPS mode and pushing it up. To- no, I don't think so because it has the little check mark saying it's off by default on Series X, which means it probably switches to base to- one mode. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, and that's 1080p. Yeah. So I'm like, wait, wouldn't this just be the same? Right. I think what's I guess, happening here is that the, basically this is aimed primarily at Series S. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. which for does, Series S you know, users. Which should be like 1080p60. And uh, without yeah. that FPS boost, they'd be limited to, you know, dynamic 1080p30. What would be 10, would be 1080p30 with the extra horsepower. So, that, yeah, there's another interesting example there. Um, I haven't actually looked at this yet because I need to borrow your account to do it, but John. But The Evil Within 2 gets a... That actually gets a FPS boost too, and that has an unlocked frame rate mode on Series X, uh, on, on 1X already, which translates to Series X. So I think what that is actually doing is, first of all, opening up the mode, which I don't think was available, the unlocked mode, on series s but what i'm kind of curious to see what it's actually going to do on series x versus just the standard unlock yeah because it has the check mark next to it so it seems like it would switch back to base one mode on the series x so it feels like to me like you actually would not want to enable fps boost in this it does sound like a downgrade doesn't it (laughs) yeah it does yeah Uh, so use caution (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, there's some great stuff in there. Um, 
I really enjoyed Dying Light at 60 frames per second, even though it is a really old game. It's running on the 1S. Uh, Goose uh, Game. Goose Game is a 120. <laughs> yeah. There's also... I Metro. Love game. Metro hilarious. is 120. There's also Shadow Warrior 2, which... Uh, that's a game yeah, that I played should that. just never be played at 30. So, like... Ugh, no. ugh, like ugh. Well, uh, yes. But uh, again, it didn't receive a 1X enhancement. And so I, it's low I would I would contend it's a game that you don't want to play at 900p either. <laughs> And what about Mad, the, Mad Max is an interesting 120, yeah, 120 that, on Series X. 120 yeah, on 120. Series X. So that's going up from uh, 30 frames per second. So that that's is really actually, nice. I haven't actually tried that one. I do want to try it. And I think it's one of the, um, it's one of the overlooked gems of the last generation, in my opinion. Uh, certainly from a graphics perspective, it was, it was, it was cool. Was yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. And I, I think this is kind of what I like about FPS Boost, um, regardless of all of the hashtag caveats is that um, a lot of these games from the last generation, they they still hold up. They're still really good. I, I mean, I played Dying Light for a good part of an afternoon last weekend simply because, uh, well, for two reasons. First of all, the game is really good. And secondly, I was I was kind of Googling its release date because it's it was so far ahead of its time. It was doing some fantastic things for the time period it was released in. And um, it's just stuff like anti-aliasing and uh, possibly the lighting that, that kind of holds it back a bit. But, you know, they could remaster that game tomorrow and I'd be all in. They could also you push know. out the uh, draw distance, which was one of those cases where it was lower than low. low. On PC. On the PC. <laughs> they really reined yeah. it in for the consoles. That was, that was like uh, the but, first Although I will say, fun, fun fact about Dying Light, the game was not released in Germany. Yeah. Wow. So it feels, it feels illicit somehow. <laughs> copy of dying like it's, it's, it's like me using a uh to get any of the like any of the id tech games recently since they're all so hyper violent to get the non-german versions i always had to use um what do they call those vpn clients and stuff like that for months at a I time i feel like a, a lot of this stuff has been rolled back recently so Good. like no more an issue but uh yeah it's frustrating yeah. Um, I think the last thing I want to say about FPS Boost, I, you know, in the Slack channel yesterday, I shared that tweet from Phil Spencer where he was running AC Unity with co-op. And um, that said two things to me. First of all, I didn't realize that co-op still worked. I thought it kind of just died a death. Uh, you know, uh, secondly, I really, I'd never played it co-op. I kind of really want to give it a go with you guys because, you know, it's kind of like the route not taken with Assassin's Creed because I It'd honestly be a video think, up. yeah, and you know, the, and then obviously the, the the next point from that is well, if it works on Xbox, does it work on PC? Could we, you know, could we do this at four K sixty? Dude, the PC version looks amazing. I've, no, I've, yes. never, stuff, I've never but, played it in co op, but it's kind of it always reminds me like uh, Assassin's Creed has never gone that route. It, why haven't a lot of these sandbox F, sandbox arena? kind of games, uh, I would consider Assassin's Creed as part of that, uh, not gone the co-op route where it's just so fun to like stalk a target together as like in co-op. That'd be so fun, I don't know. I would love to try that because I think the, the technical ambition to actually maintain that world with that level of detail, with that many of NPCs and to do it persistently uh, with multiple players, uh, I can see why they would want to do it. And I can also see why they would want to jettison the feature after one attempt. Uh, but I, I really want to check that out. So maybe we can find some time to do that. But yeah, FPS Boost, I'm eager to see more. Um, 
there's been a sort of distressing lack of Activision games, uh, which which concerns me. But um, everybody else seems to be well on board with it. I've never heard that distressing description. Lack of Activision. Distressing <laughs> lack of Activision. Well, you know, they've got a lot of games that I'd put, I'd really like to play at sixty and one hundred and twenty frames per second. Yeah, yeah some uh, some sure, of them yeah. don't even work though. Uh, at it, like uh, infin, Infinite Warfare has a ninety FPS lock on PC that cannot be gone around uh, because it breaks the game's physics. So oh. some of them, some of the Call of Duty titles actually may not be able to even do 120. They might break. They might break. So the next news piece, uh, I don't really know what kind of <laughs> expert insight we could provide on this. Just the, the circus, <laughs> the circus surrounding it, the show, the remarkable legal disclosures. I, uh, uh, it's the Epic versus Apple face-off where it's kind of unseemly in a way, but the dirty laundry of the industry is being uh, paraded out for everybody to look at. And, uh, you know, special call out to uh, Tom Warren from The Verge for just highlighting all of the juiciest details in all of the legal disclosures. And there's the whole legal disclosure about um, uh, Sony's crossplay strategy, which, which was supposed to, <laughs> supposed to be a sealed document, which was just publicly released. Um, there's a lot of well, dirty laundry out there. I'm really just enjoying listening to like Tim Sweeney get grilled on stuff, <laughs> but like a lot of it's like really weird, obvious stuff. It's like, Mr. Sweeney, do you know what a game console is? What is your yes, <laughs> what is this? This is the PlayStation 5, you know, that, stuff like that. What is Eurogamer? You know what that is? Yes, and I'm just like, he's just sitting there, just like. Uh, All right. I uh, just to talk about the the, the um, cross-platform play fee on the Sony side of things. Uh, I, I think it's unexpected just because we're talking about massive corporations here, especially ones with such monopolizing positions. I guess it's not so surprising that they would be into that uh, kind of thing. But um, it is disappointing uh, because I could imagine for a certain pers- uh, for certain games like smaller indie titles or um, fighting game communities where you have a, uh, I would say not exactly, you're not always sure what your split will be across PC, um, Xbox series or a PlayStation or Switch even. Uh, and then if you have to already have these small communities and then have to pay a fee to make sure that the community stays open and large, uh, then it is a disincentivizing against that, and it could actually negatively hurt niche games uh, more so than your Call of Duties or your Fortnites. My goodness! Um, so that's the one thing that actually really I find really sour about it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we are kind of seeing. Um, how can I describe it? Um, basically, a lot of corporate positioning that we kind of were dimly aware of, but we're actually seeing it laid bare in black and white. And um, yeah, it's kind of a bit unseemly. And I hope that people do take a look at these documents because there is a lot of gatekeeping. There's, you know, there's a lot of people that are emotionally attached to mega corporate brands here. For some bizarre reason, and oh, yet, Twitter you know, users. Yeah. Well, oh, you're talking about the court doc. Oh, see, uh, right. Sorry, I got confused there for a second. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, you know, it is. You know, there's basically it is the fact that um, uh, you know this, this is fundamentally a business, and people are you know basically protecting their interests. 
And but we are seeing kind of like um, you know global strategies being explained in a bit more depth. I mean, you know, I don't think it's any sort of secret at this point that Xbox would be perfectly happy to have their games running on PlayStation if they could have Xbox Live and Game Pass on there. They're kind of moving into a platform agnostic phase, whereas it's the exact opposite with Sony, who, you know, enjoying huge success, rightfully earned with PlayStation and, and a kind of got a more protective stance. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just kind of interesting to see all of these these documents released, and um, but I agree that the legal discourse and uh, the colossal waste of Tim Sweeney's time with this questioning <laughs> is kind of kind of bizarre. There is a in terms of PC stuff that's been revealed that's interesting and also really just question marks everywhere. Was there was the documents concerning what the buyout costs were and the amount of... So buyout oh, costs yeah. for... Most of these were smaller indie titles uh, uh, as well as uh, to make them EGS platform exclusive or EGS giveaway uh, games, essentially. And uh, the the numbers there for what the, the, the indie developers primarily were given to make their game free on EGS versus the amount of copies given out and amount of users accrued for Epic uh, it looked almost completely unfair in a lot of cases to these indie <laughs> games uh, where it looks like they were getting uh, really negative. It was just kind of like, it reminded me of like, here, little indie artists, we'll, we'll give you this uh, small s- exchange of money for publicity. And that's what it, some of this looked like. Others, uh, numbers in there were much more positive, I think. Uh, oh, right. Like, they paid them in exposure, basically. Yeah, that's what it felt like, some of the stuff. Uh, specifically, <laughs> oh my gosh, some of the games were just like 50000 for... 50,000 USD pre-tax or whatever uh, for how many copies of the game? My goodness. Uh, but other developers, it seems like they got an okay deal in comparison. So I don't know. I don't yeah. like any of the money having anyway in this PC space at all, at all. So uh, I don't know. Well, you know, I think the thing about the indie things is that uh, the question is how many of those people would have actually paid for the game anyway? I have no idea. And yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, that's that's, that's the question. But, you know, there are some eye-watering numbers there. The Borderlands 3 deal. Um, I mean, how much did that game cost to make? Because it looks to me like Epic paid $150 million for platform exclusivity. <laughs> for they pretty much, I think they funded the game, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is like astonishing. Uh, <laughs> I had heard um, about this figure in the past and I was like, it was interesting to see here and I'm just like, oh, okay, well, they they really did pony up for this. Mm. I mean, oh, I understand yeah. why Gearbox would take that deal. Yeah. I mean, come on now. Oh, Somebody's great. like, yeah, we'll, we'll just pay for the game. You're just like <laughs> on one platform. It's like, uh, yeah, you, you just put it on your little store. That's what they do. I was also uh, kind of amused at uh, the $1.5 million for Arkham Knight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> considering uh, its history yeah yeah yeah, considering the history i mean you'd think that that one point you know a a small fraction of that 1.5 million dollars could have been used to go back and maybe spruce up the game a little bit to be fair though i feel like the game's pretty much fine now if you have a high-end pc yeah just Uh for for the time though it's uh yeah (laughs) yeah that that was certainly interesting and um yeah, well, Arkham Knight, that's another game I'd like to see uh, on FPS Boost, actually. I think that could do really well. But I think uh, just um, one last thing, going back to FPS Boost, 
Um, John, it's really interesting that we haven't seen any of the resolution boosts that we actually saw when we were at the Microsoft right. cam uh, campus. I forgot about that. They've actually gone straight for the 2x frame rate, which they didn't mention at the time, but they didn't have any demos to show us. So I'm kind of interested in what they're doing there, because uh, maybe we'll talk about this on a direct uh, next week or, or soon thereafter, because there were some interesting things that we picked up there in terms of resolution multipliers and such that um, uh, I kind of really want to see deployed on, on legacy titles. Yeah, we actually saw that running and get to mess around with one of them as well. Mm. And it's a title that people would love to see get that boost. So I'm not really yeah. sure. Well, let's move on to our final news topic of the week. So Returnal, we love it. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. Uh, but there are issues with the launch rollout. Um, first of all, there is the the hashtag developers vision uh, angle. So, John, what's all of that about? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, fundamentally, this I think this is just a lot of confusion over the way so essentially right now the game is if you if you close the game and restart it your run is lost so because it's a roguelike uh you essentially are dropped back into the game and from the beginning point you have to make your way essentially forward if you die then you go back there are some permanent elements though so it's not like you completely lose everything mind you uh the big problem though is that when you start the game it says just use rest mode um, and if you use that, you can come back and continue. And what people have been kind of asking for is just sort of a, a save and quit option where essentially you stop playing the game and just like rest mode, it just saves the position of everything the, the you know, the current state of enemies, uh, only you would be able to close the game and when you reopen it, it just picks up where you left off. So, uh, theoretically that, you know, this could be done in a way that wouldn't allow you to cheat or mess with saves, you know, it's not just about saving anywhere that would that would ruin the game but this would be a nice feature especially because like you know I, I one of my favorite things is like just looking around at different examples a lot of roguelikes use this and in fact the original rogue from the 80s right there in the manual it has a uh, save and quit option as well so you can <laughs> you can save your progress and continue so it doesn't ruin anything. I, I actually think it was possibly a little bit of an oversight. Maybe it was a concern around the scoreboards. Maybe they could sort of make it so like if you use the save and quit, the scoreboard isn't active or something. I, I, I don't care about the scoreboard there anyway. Uh, but I feel like that would be fixable. The problem though, and this is, this is the problem with the vision, I think, and why a lot of people have issues is beyond the time thing and it is annoying for us because you know i was covering resident evil and trying to play returnal so i pretty much had to stop playing returnal until i finished this project because like um you know it's like oh time to start work i was in the middle of a run i can't just like keep playing around when i need to get to work so but that's that's kind of unique to us i think <laughs> but the other problem is that the game essentially is kind of crashy uh, i didn't feel like it was that bad when i first played it but i have had a few crashes and not nothing too bad but like a lot of people have been having way more of them uh and also rest mode in general is kind of unreliable i've just i honestly i've had issues with both rest mode and quick resume on xbox like neither one works very well for me like it either it either fails it crashes you come back and the game just restarts for no reason that's and a stuff common like that. one I, that's a really common one. Oh, i hate yeah. that like oh it's it starts loading nuts. maybe i'm playing the go back to dash and then it starts loading again it's like what okay i, I hate it so these features 
it's just not working well. So I feel like the fact that they specifically mention this when you start the game, but it doesn't work reliably. Also, sometimes even if rest mode works, the trophies would break and you wouldn't get trophies for certain things. Uh, I saw that with one boss, I think, where just like the trophy, I think there was supposed to be a trophy there, never popped up. Not sure what's going on. Uh, and then they, so they've been patching it since, which by the way, also kicks you out of rest mode. Uh, so people have, it closes the game, but apparently they just released a new patch and then they pulled it and I didn't actually know that they had pulled it, but that's something you discovered there, Rich. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw it on Twitter this morning and, you know, just uh, heartfelt, uh, apologies from the developer that looking into the issues. I think it was corrupted saves. Um, it's kind of a reminder that Housemark is actually a relatively small developer with with limited resources that have pulled off that have pulled off a an amazing game here. But you know, you kind of start to see that the edge is fraying a little bit when you know it's the game is subjected to uh, uh, you know hundreds of thousands, possibly more users. I kind of think maybe a, a beta would have been the here's the thing though the thing is though is despite these issues i really want to stress that i think it's really awesome that housemark is getting this kind of attention in the first place i love housemark games they've been doing amazing stuff for so many years uh, but it feels like in recent years like a lot of their games have just gone completely unnoticed like they put out this amazing stuff nobody cares you don't see anybody talking about it so the fact that there's actually passionate people talking about this now and it's so good. Uh, that actually is heartening. And I suspect that this also might be why they're having a few issues because they're just not used to this kind of attention anymore. Like their, their prior games on, you know, especially during the PS4 era, it just kind of felt like uh, they were largely ignored in some cases, criminally. So like the next Machina, like that was an incredible game. And it seems like nobody played it. And I'm not really sure what's up with that. So I think there's a question of exposure here. Because uh, if we go back to the launch of PlayStation 4, uh, we had Resogun. Mm -hmm. And it was a PS Plus game. Mm -hmm. And um, it was there was it's similar to uh, Returnal. There was nothing like it on the platform. You couldn't play a game like that uh, with that, you know, with those amazing visuals that level of fidelity and you know the, just the, the sheer playability of it this was like a game that was propelled um you know to the well, forefront of every ps4 it, user really it is funny you say that though because you know resurgun does exist in the psv yeah <laughs> well that came out afterwards though i'm yeah. sure it's yeah, yeah. quite the same. and it's toned down in some ways of course but you know <laughs> yeah but you know this is the point it's about um commanding the attention of the audience and uh, that specific route that they chose for Resogun paid off in spectacular style but it wasn't enough to maintain the momentum going into Next Machina which I would which I would contend is a much better game um, so you know and that's very that, different very different very different but you know if, if you put both of them in front of me I'd, it'd be Next Machina each and every time it's just a, it's just an astonishing game and it's just really disappointing I would imagine that that didn't get the same kind of uh, take up as Resogun so you know the question is why and um, you know, same with Returnal I've actually really heartened to see the critical response to that uh, title um, because 
in the run up to launch, we, you know, I didn't know anything about it really. The and um, it's not as if marketing opportunities were thrown our way either to to sort of get an early look at the game and to champion it in the way that we did when we actually had review code. Because you know, if we'd seen that game earlier. Um, you know, I, I even thought based on the PlayStation 5 reveal that it would be running at 30 FPS. Um, yeah. yeah, I did too. So, oh. yeah. so you know, there's there's just uh, some lessons to be learned there, I think. But, um, yeah, just the, the discourse around the game, the fact it's being discussed at all is, is heartening. I just hope that these issues get cleared up sooner rather than later. Okay, so let's move on to our uh, content discussion. I want to quickly talk about the Digital Foundry Supporter Programme. I mean, I don't know what to say about this, um, except thank you. Um, the level of take-up that we've had, the support we've had, the injection of uh, new people and new discourse on the Discord has just been phenomenal. The Discord now, it was great before, but it's just awesome oh now. It's, it's so, <laughs> I mean... It's so good that somebody, yes, it was Audie's birthday yesterday. Somebody actually made a platform game for his birthday with him as like starring as Bubsy and like fighting against uh, crazy frog riches. And uh, it's, it's great. <laughs> I mean, this is just, it's, it, you know, the whole thing surrounding the relaunch of the Patreon is just really, um, it's just been a, a, a high point for me. And I guess kind of saved quickly... a DF retro in a way. Not that well, it was going to necessarily go away, but now it means I can actually spend the time that I want to doing those videos. Well, we've got the validation for it on every front now. You know, we always loved the content. We've uh, we've had issues in scheduling and resources for it. That's That issue is now solved. Exactly. And, I can um, easily justify it now. Yeah. You know, it's something we can actually grow and invest in, and we know that the support is there. And um, what I think is particularly heartening about it is that we don't need to, I mean, these, you know, these, these people supporting you, John, they, they're supporting you and your vision, not necessarily what the hottest games were in 1996. You know? <laughs> yes. do, do you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's uh, just yeah. hugely liberating. And um, yeah, uh, there's just some great stuff happening uh, for supporters. So this week I did a video on... Actually, I, I took on the Resident Evil Village demo. It's our first chance to look at the Xbox version of the game. And uh, again, the Discord we were talking about, uh, frame rate analysis, how it all works and whatnot. So when I started that Resident Evil project, I just turned on the camera, as I've done here, and just began the project and talked about what I was doing in terms of amassing all of the assets and the data and just talked everyone through it. And I hope that was uh, really interesting behind the scenes content. Obviously we've got the classic FPS uh, stuff from my 2010 era hard drives at the moment. Amazing. Uh, Man, I, is... I should do a behind the scenes video on like get a big batch of shots to pixel count. It's like, <laughs> all right, let's let's do here we go. Thing. Crack knuckles, <laughs> open up paint, zoom this in. Is, and let's this like, has one, surely two. got to be... <laughs> Surely got to be one for Tom. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Well, yeah. And um, other stuff going on. Um, we had uh, early access to the MVG interview for DF oh, yes. Retro. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And, you know, that came out relatively soon after that. So, you know, it's just a, a nice bonus extra there. And um, sooner or later, the second part of the Bloodborne War gameplay will come out. And... Work has begun, John, on the next DFRETFO major episode, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, we figured it out. It's going to be awesome. 
Uh, it's a topic that I love, and it's pretty big, actually, but um, it's it's kind of the first in, like, a kind of a series that I might pursue on, on this specific kind of thing. Nice. I, I'm being very vague here, because I don't want to spoil what it is yet, but it's awesome. But also, <laughs> I, I should know, so I think basically what it's going to be is I'm going to, we're going to do that episode this month, and then the previous episode, which was that vast quake episode, then that'll go out for everybody else. Yeah. So it's basically going to be staggered a little bit. So, you know, ever you're, you're going to get the regular episode on the channel, but, you know, if you're a part of the Patreon, you get it like three to four weeks early, I guess. And uh, <laughs> DF Retro Play, that uh, you recorded one yesterday, right? That's going to be going out pretty soon. Yeah, we did Power Blade. Power so, Blade. Uh, that was a fun one. Power Blade. Power Blade. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so yeah, lots going on on the uh, on on the Patreon side of things. Uh, lots of discourse, awesome community, um, some nice behind the scenes content and early access. So do check it out. And speaking of content and discussion, we're going to be discussing Alex, your Super Mario sixty four raid facing uh, video, which is uh, I really enjoyed that and. Uh, do you have any sort of behind-the-scenes anecdotes about it you want to share? Sure, I guess um, I got wind of this over Twitter, like I think in like, had to have been November of last year. And then I immediately shot Dario uh, a DM, or uh, direct message or whatever. And uh, just, I couldn't remember what DM stood for. I was like, DM? Uh, yeah, um, then I just kind of got in contact. We talked a lot about how the rendering was working for a long time behind the scenes, but it was still so far away. There were so many basic things that had to be implemented to even work. Um, and then the last uh, essentially two weeks uh, behind the scenes, I've had access to my own like uh, essentially the, the way the build works is pretty simple uh, if you know how to use GitHub and things like that, but there was still also the rendering DLL that was missing from the GitHub. So Dario sent me over the rendering DLL, which is basically how it even does ray tracing in the first place. And um, then I kind of been fooling around with that for two weeks trying to figure out, okay, what do I even want to show? What is the interesting thing about this beyond the fact that it's Mario with ray tracing? Um, and that took a surprisingly longer than I thought it would. Uh, there's so much, you know, with Metro uh, going on and as, as well as Resident Evil and Returnal. Uh, so it took a little bit, but then, you know, compiled it out, asked John if he would talk to me about it, since I know John knows a lot about Super Mario. And it was just good fun. And uh, kind of behind the scene anecdotes are that. I don't know, there's there's still so much that needs to be done. The quality that you saw there uh, in the video is like way below what it will eventually become. There's currently, like the game is not generating any motion vectors at all. So the denoiser just, is just kind of like applying. It's not, it doesn't really know what it's doing at all. Um, That's just funny to think that it's like 1996. What's a motion vector? Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) That's like, (laughs) Uh, you know, they basically just had Z buffers, like seriously. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So there's... And not even that, only in some cases. Yeah, not every game, right? hardware. Yeah, like uh, N64. And there's even N64 games that allowed you to turn off the Z buffer, right, John? Didn't you find that with, um, Mm. wasn't it um, Shadows of the Empire? 
that you figured that out oh and possibly in the uh the the debug that menus, was it. if i re- i can't remember exactly but they, i think there was something like that where you could disable the z buffer or something. <laughs> yeah crazy stuff like that so <laughs> the fact that this is even working at all and there's a lot of steps that can be done already to improve the quality that dario has in their mind and it'll happen uh, it's just a matter of time and also the render 96 people they've kind of uh, looking at the ray tracing uh, mod, it has the ability now to generate normals and like normal textures and things like that, uh, which is something that base uh, SM64EX really didn't have. So Render96 was always using this convoluted process to bake normals and to diffuse and things like that to even just make it look like these old school models uh, looked like the SGI renders. Uh, so now there's going to be like a new art po- new art process for Render96 in time. This is just like the, the blooming stage. There's going to be so much beautiful things coming out of it. And then when you read about other stuff online that, you know, uh, Ocarina of Time has been decompiled, you go, oh, wow. What could we see there, you know? Well, there is this whole thing. I mean, Quake 2 RTX was the beginning. It was basically saying we can actually take a classic game. We can fully raid face it, you know, fully path face it. And Upgrade the assets too. <laughs> yeah. that. That's part of it. That's a big part of it. Exactly. And the point is, though, that these games are reborn. And, mm. you know, we're still relatively early on in the implementation of ray tracing hardware. I mean, you know, second generation, first generation, a lot of people will have. And um, these older games are a perfect fit for the capabilities of today's hardware. And, um, I want to see more. Now, obviously, we saw the um, announcement, I think, of the Lightspeed Studio stuff from NVIDIA, which has all gone very, very quiet. We've not heard anything. So, yeah, so I, I really do think there's a massive opportunity here, especially now that AMD is, has joined the Raid Facing Party, to actually bring back some of these older games, revamp them, um, you know, there's, there's so many that I'd love to see. You know, Doom 3. Was it somebody doing Doom Someone 3? Someone is doing probably? Doom 3. They're, it's yeah. the same person who's also working on Quake 3 and Quake 1 through Quake 3's engine being ray traced. So there's just Doom 3 being done, Quake 1, Quake 3. Uh, there is also a Half Life 1 being done. There, there's a whole lot of these efforts. There's Jedi Knight. Uh, that is also being looked at, I'm pretty sure, and is actually pretty far along. It's even using like the latest ray tracing stuff like Reister, like these really complex new topics that just exist since little less than a year. Uh, so I think uh, even beyond Lightspeed Studios doing ray tracing remasters, uh, we're going to see so many community things in the next couple of years because this all happened in the past too. We've seen enough hideous looking oh, yeah. quake ports with normal maps in our time to realize that this, you know, people, people really love taking old school things and making them look new. Um, that This is going to be the same thing, but even more, I think, than even in the past because it's just a paradigm shift. I just had a flashback to uh, when we did that raid-faced GI oh, yes. um, video video on our Half-Life, where, <laughs> where you spent 10 minutes looking at the toilet. It's the best, uh, and... best 10 minutes of my life. I don't know what you're talking about there, Rich. It, it must have been. I mean, I can't wait to see the, the fully path-traced toilet. It's going to be a game-changer, isn't it? Those were fun. The, the three-player videos. It was usually Alex and I looking at stuff and Richard running around with like a rocket launcher <laughs> just shooting at the ground. 
Yeah. <laughs> we should do something. Uh, I would. I would love to revisit that mm-hmm. uh, formula. Um, we could always. But, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> um, I guess that's kind of about it on the raid facing front. I mean, obviously, I'd love to see more games. And this this uh, Mario sixty four port, fascinating. And, and this is like just the early, the first technical preview. So mm-hmm. you know, sky's the limit, really. Okay, final discussion wait, wait, point. Wait. Before that, though, big question. Yeah. Is our ray tracing worth it? Oh, yeah. oh, we, we might as well just talk about this really quickly. It's, we're not going to talk about it really oh, quickly. Though. It's going to drag on, isn't it? But come on in, Alex. Let's have it. Okay, so well, I, just think, I just think the question is posed poorly because a lot of technical advances are not worth it from some perspective. Uh, yeah. Like maybe it might be a monetary one for certain users or certain people, it, it, you know, whatever. But the the question of whether or not um, you can tell a difference, I think, is just really such an arbitrary, uh, subjective. There's of course a random person uh, looking at two competing images of not even the real physical difference in these games won't be able to tell the difference. That's all I have to say about that. Like, there's way different ways you do comparisons usually. Uh, You don't usually just show the thing that doesn't look different in the game. Um, But in general, I just don't think, it's just so weird that there's this question all about this. I understand it if you're thinking about, is it worth it to buy a new GPU? That is a different question to whether or not a certain rendering technique is worth it. That is very different, and I don't think it should be posed as the latter, you know? I think a thing we've always discussed here and something that really rings true for me is you look back at the advancements in graphics cards, right? When hardware transformer lighting was introduced, when pixel shaders were introduced, stuff like this. Uh, These were expensive initially, and they maybe weren't used uh, as widely as you would have liked straight away but they became standard, right? And that's that's ultimately the same with ray tracing. It will become standard. Uh, we will be vindicated in the long run, but it takes time. I mean, this technology has to start somewhere. And NVIDIA did take a big risk by pushing for this in 2018, but here we are. Now we have two consoles with ray tracing, I guess technically three. Uh, you know, AMD is obviously throwing their hat in the ring on this. Like it's early days still, but we're getting there. And I'd say we've reached a point where it's actually pretty darn good. Like I was playing the Metro uh, remaster that you did an amazing video on. Uh, It runs better than (laughs) uh, the previous release did on my machine now. Like it just, and it looks incredible. Like we're, we're the hump. We're almost over that hump where ray tracing is just like a thing you can use on your PC without a huge performance consideration necessarily like it's getting it's getting there so and it's the future this is this is where we're going it's a pretty interesting times and i think uh one of the best comments i saw on twitter and i can't actually remember the person who posted it maybe someone named dominic uh was there was also a there was a extremely expensive uh twist in the industry in the 90s to 3d from 2d uh, as well, and 3D games ran terribly, by the way, on the N64 and PlayStation in comparison to their 2D games, uh, usually. Yet we, we, you know, we suckered, you know, we were fine with it initially, and it got better over time. And it seems like I don't, I don't know if people were thinking back when, uh, I don't know, 
PlayStation came out, 3D is crap. Uh, we should we well. Should there stop there was a contingent 3D. that was kind of fighting against 3D for sure. Oh gosh, because it was a shift. <laughs> because of because you know, I can <sighs> I can kind of see where you're coming from because you have like high end 2D pixel art running at 60 frames per second, and you move to like flat shaded polygons <laughs> at 20 frames per second. Uh, you're obviously losing something, but again, it's about it's about where things were going. Yeah. It's pushing ahead towards the future, and everything has to start somewhere. Um, but it's it is coming whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, the video was talking about whether RTX is worth it. I mean, DLSS is a part of the RTX feature set, and uh, you know, it's kind of established itself now as a must-have that's, feature, really. So really good, that, you know. And uh, this is opening the door to a, another frontier in graphics technology, and well, just potentially gaming technology in general, which is the you know the the rise of uh, machine learning features and yep, um it's huge you know everything starts somewhere and uh we're already seeing with dlss that magic is possible what's going to happen next you know those guys who spent five years developing dlss they haven't been just been sitting about iterating dlss they're doing other things we're going to find out about that in due course and i can't wait to see what's happening there anyway that final content discussion point Genshin Impact, man, this was a bit of a uh, case of bad timing, really, isn't it? Because we really wanted to mm. cover the game for quite some time now. The arrival of the PlayStation 5 upgrade seemed like a good jumping on point, And it wasn't that great. And then literally, like, <laughs> you know, pretty much around the same time as the content that we produced came out, the game was patched. Now, usually when these patches come along, not much really changes, but with this one, my word. I mean, we're looking at, you know, in some cases from just, you know, back of the envelope calculations, we're looking at like over 20% increase in performance, which is just like, you know, in some cases, I think we went from like, you know, the 40s to locked 60. Yeah, exactly. Um, I kind of feel sorry for Tom a bit here because, you know, he put the effort into covering the game as he saw it. And then the patch came along, which kind of nullified the results. But we have got an updated video out there. And I think, you know, um, we've kind of at least showed what the game is now. And the, the, this is the, the, the other thing that kind of um, is a bit frustrating from, from our perspective is that the videos that we produce stay online forever. And it's not really great when you've got bad data persisting that doesn't reflect an actual user experience. So we had to go back and do that. And that's the thing uh, is usually games when they're updated, the difference is usually minor enough where it doesn't warrant doing a new video. But in cases where something dramatic changes like this, then it makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, It's also just like Rich was saying, I feel bad for Tom to have to, you know, work on a video and then have it almost be nullified right, as you publish a video, because this has happened to oh, all of us at some point in time where yep. uh, the kind of pulls back into the Epic versus Apple thing, but the video game industry is so full of secrets and hype cycles that you don't even know where, where a patch will be dropping and what it's going to do. So you have no idea uh, that when you're making a video that the next patch will change the world and everything. Uh, so it is, it's always a bit of a shame. And it would be, it just, it just highlights how it would be nice to have a, a better discourse uh, at times with developers about 
what a patch may or may not do and when patches are coming out. But maybe these are internal targets that they don't even know the uh, the actual dates for themselves always. So well, well, the Genshin one is fascinating because they put out a PS5 app, native PS5 app that was suboptimal, mm-hmm. and within days it was mostly fixed. I have no idea how they even got it out in the first place. That's so yeah, weird. Yeah. Yeah, baffling. But, it, you know, we have got the updated video out now. It does show the game in a much more positive light. Um, I guess the big mystery from my perspective is how they did it because the, the graphics look the same. I think Tom was talking about a um, optimization to streaming or something. Um, what I do know is that um, uh, on certain Unity projects, the developer can actually partner with Unity and Unity can actually provide... Um, tweaked and customized versions of the renderer, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. do produce some often dramatic performance increases. Maybe that happened here. Maybe it didn't. We just don't know. We don't have any kind of visibility into it beyond the fact that um, the game is nigh on fixed now based on... I'm uh, sure Unity has, has a somewhat of a big stake in a game like this because it is right. kind of a high-profile title. It's pushing Unity in ways that you typically don't see with such a large open-world kind of environment. And, you know... I'm sure they want this to be as good as it can be. Yep, but as you're seeing the game now, that's how it is, and uh, it's well worth checking out. Okay, so let's move on to uh, supporter Q&A, one of my favorite bits of the show. And uh, I spoke last week about uh, questions that I wanted to roll over, mm-hmm. and it's specifically this one from Concrete Llama, <laughs> which oh, is, yeah. uh, uh, I'd love to see that hacker alias in The Matrix. You know, Neo, <laughs> Trinity, Concrete Lama. Um, anyway, the uh, the question is this. It used to be that console hardware within the same generation could vary quite drastically. But these days, uh, they seem to be very similar, particularly with uh, Sony and Microsoft in Gen 8 and Gen 9. Obviously, this undeniably makes things much easier for multi-platform developers. But do you prefer the current approach or miss, or even maybe see advantages to the old approach uh, with wildly different architectures. John, I bet you've got some views on this. Oh, yeah. So from a personal perspective, I do think it's interesting with hardware variations like in the past. It's just more interesting to examine, to look at, and, you know, talking to people that worked on those consoles at the time. Sometimes it was frustrating, but it sounds like there was a lot of fun to be had there as well. But the thing is, though, is in the past doing a general purpose computing device, whether it's like a, you know, just a general CPU or, you know, the graphics processor. Um, the way to sort of shave the cost off on that was essentially pick and choose the instructions that you'd want to, to use specifically for a game console rather than trying to do everything. Uh, but times have changed and now it doesn't really make sense to do these kind of uh, super reduced instruction set kind of things anymore in the console space um so and also just in terms of like development of things like you know gpus you look at what like nvidia and amd are doing uh, how do you compete with that anymore like there's so much manpower research and just development money behind this stuff like i don't think that you know sony or microsoft could come in and be like yeah we're gonna we're gonna fund a graphics chip that beats what what these guys are doing. It's going to be more efficient. It's going to do, you know, I just don't know if that's possible anymore, like even financially viable, worth it in any way. So like I do enjoy what they did in the past and I loved seeing that kind of 
bespoke hardware, but it was also just like something necessary for that time period, just based on the way hardware was. Yeah, I think there wasn't actually a um, uh, a kind of definitive route forward for the fut- for the future of technology. There was a lot of competing ideas, a lot of competing technologies back then, and uh, people made their bets. And it was to the point where, you know, with the Dreamcast, Sega actually had two designs uh, in development at one point. Um, and I think I think the sort of uh, the writing is on the wall for, for for custom and exotic hardware. When even Nintendo Nintendo have basically thrown in the towel and uh, are using an off the shelf Nvidia part, uh, which I think has actually paid off for them in spectacular style because um, it's still curious and bespoke enough. There's that word again. Um, to to actually produce a unique product, but Nintendo has reaped the rewards of having um, hardware that's compliant to today's standards. So I think it's definitely in the past now, and I think it's you know as games have got bigger and um, and, and more vast in scope and the budgets behind them there needs to be that kind of uh, convergence in technology to make that those budgets work, to find those audiences. But I'll tell you what, you know, if we're looking at platform comparisons, the most fascinating ones are on DF Retro. <laughs> yeah, that's what, exactly. I mean, the, the Saturn, PlayStation, and 64, yeah. that era is just wild because the hardware is so fundamentally different from one another. And developers had to figure out a lot of tricks for this stuff to make it work and you know uh after i did the shadow man video i spoke to somebody that had worked on shadow man i don't want to reveal that here necessarily who who it was but somebody that had worked on the original project and um one of the things i found really fascinating is he was saying yeah on n64 the the exe for the game was too big it couldn't actually fit in memory so they had to come up with a solution to sort of like alternate between like the update and the render being uploaded into ram and it would perform its work and then it would be removed from memory and the next part would be loaded in so it was essentially going back and forth taking turns so to speak because you couldn't actually fit the whole thing into memory at one time and i'm sure that was a huge pain in the butt back then to work on but uh, it is interesting. And also like back then the hardware, the instruction set on, on the different machines, you know, there were a low enough number of like opcodes and stuff you could use that like digging in with assembly was actually still feasible. Right. Like you could, you could, you could actually say, okay, I need to do these specific operations really fast. Then you look at what kind of uh, instructions are available on your CPU, for instance, and be like, Oh, this thing, this 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 will be useful for that specific operation, and then run it super quick. Uh, these days, I mean, I guess assembly programming would still be possible, but I feel like just like the instruction set is so vast and complex, and like I I just can't ever see too much of a use case for it now, and it would just be very very difficult. I imagine. It also, it also gets in the way because the type of optimization you might get from that could be. Uh, an optimization time spent optimizing something more generalized that will give you better wins, which is always, it's yeah, micro and macro. Uh, another thing that is really cool part of this, uh, 
Rich and both John already described it that back then you didn't know what was actually the, the there was competing technologies and different futures that were unknown. So you made your bets uh, about like what you want to do as a console manufacturer. But now you have 20, 30 years of GPU and CPU development, and there's already so many things that are known to not work and work. And uh, also you have an entire industry of like uh, software on the side built already. Uh, like the way you model 3D objects, the way you compile things, it's all based upon this like huge shoulder of giants industry that's been going on for decades now. And you can't just uh, come up with some exotic thing and expect people to develop games for it uh, if there's no like software environment, no you know, hardware inertia for like 20 years to uh, to actually know how to use it well. Um, so yeah, I do like that time in the past when things were really different and it was just so fun and interesting, but it's so unrealistic now, um, so. This is also one of my favorite things is when you look at like um, when the 3DO came out in like 1993 or so, uh, one of the funny things looking back, it was a powerful machine, but it's handicapped in the way that it draws. It actually uses a frame buffer but it's not fast enough to draw it in a way to like scroll a large tile map around on the screen. So like suddenly like 16 bit games that you'd see on like Super NES and Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive, you couldn't really do those on the 3DO at, at 60 frames per second, which is why like, uh, cause they had specific hardware to, to do scrolling play fields. You couldn't really do that on the PC up until like the mid nineties either because of the way those systems worked. So like you would, that's why consoles would use specific specialized hardware to do accelerate certain types of operations you might want to do. And that, it was cool, but yeah, those days they're gone. Okay, let's move on to the next question uh, from Jonathan Hayhurst. Given the introduction of 120 Hertz capable TVs and consoles, do you think a developer would ever make a 40 FPS game or a 40 FPS performance mode for their game? 40 FPS divides evenly into 120 Hertz the same way 30 FPS uh, and 60 FPS do, but could provide a nice balance between smooth performance and good visuals. John. Ooh, I feel like that's a little bit too bespoke, as they say, for somebody to actually consider including in there. Um, I mean, I guess it's that, that's a weird one. I mean, theoretically, that could work, but also I feel like there aren't that many TVs. Well, maybe there. I'm just trying to think. Like, I feel like most TVs going forward that support 120 hertz are also going to support VRR. So, like, yeah. why even bother with this? But at the same well, time, I guess if you wanted to make it demanding enough, targeting like a locked 40 FPS instead of like 30, um, it could it could kind of work, I suppose. I, I think not. I, I, I think, think while there's it. a preponderant, you know, while there's so many 60 hertz screens out there, there's no um, financial justification for targeting a 40 FPS game. You can't build your render uh, budgets around it, I don't think. However, you know, with that said, I am reminded of Control Ultimate Edition, where Alex, uh, the photo mode, turned off the frame rate cap. Now this isn't entirely indicative of all in-game performance by any stretch of the imagination, but for the most part, it was hanging at 40 FPS or over. And it kind of says to me two things. One, 
maybe there is an argument if the engine will support it to have, you know, the option to unlock performance. Um, but, you know, make it an option. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, yeah. And secondly, the good thing I think about VRR is that it makes the concept of arbitrary frame rate caps a lot more viable. So, you know, maybe if you are noticing the difference between, you know, 40 to 60 FPS or whatever, you could, you know, just lock in a 45 FPS cap. I mean, this is something you can do on Revertuner, Statistics Server, and many other tools on PC right now. You know, if you've got a VRR screen, you can just cap the performance. And for the most part, if your GPU is capable enough, you get an entirely consistent uh, performance at whatever frame rate you want. Um, so I'd say that there's this, I don't know, I'm kind of uh, sort of interested in the concept of an advanced menu, a kind of here be dragons, do this all at your own risk, uh, sub menu that's within a game that developers might want to sneak in there, if only to future-proof the game for the next generation or future generations of hardware. Because I think we've seen that games with the option to unlock performance tend to get a really decent upgrade when you use backwards compatibility on a new mm -hmm. console. We saw it on One X, saw it on series consoles. So, you know, maybe for the future, similar thing might, might have some, uh, some use. Okay, Lumen, this is a question from Oliver McKenzie. He's back. Hi. Uh, oh. Lumen, in the land of Nanite, is an extremely impressive-looking demo that debuted last year running on the PlayStation 5. The new features of the demo depend entirely on the massive amounts of compute power available on the new consoles and modern PCs. Do you think this represents a more plausible path for the near future of AAA graphics rendering than one dominated by ray tracing, Alex. It was using ray tracing already, just a different type of <laughs> just a different type of ray tracing. One that's less yep. less accurate, and one that has uh, certain concerns that are both positive and negative that I could go on for a while about. But it is already using ray tracing, just a less accurate form of it. So uh, yes, I guess if, uh, for example, if Lumen ends up for some reason, which I'm not even sure if it, this will be the case, being able to be cheap at what people would consider as good resolutions for next-gen consoles targeting 30 or 60 FPS, which has yet to be proven because we've only seen a single demo, um, then yes, it offers an alternative to using hardware ray tracing for similar effects, you know, but you, with its own caveats, of course. Um, the other aspect of it is Nanite, which is, you know, really high detail geometry uh, for static objects in the world that are like opaque objects. So anything like rocks or buildings uh, that don't transform. Um, and that is partially going around it's basically a software rasterizer at some degree. And so it's going around hardware, it's just doing it in compute. And whether that offers a viable alternative to the way we currently do AAA graphics, uh, I don't know yet as well, because we've once again only seen this single demo. I think it's just a really awesome idea. And I think it's moving in a direction that the industry is gonna go in the future with uh, less discrete LODs, level of detail objects, and instead mm -hmm. a progressive level of detail, because ray tracing is a progressive LO, LOD, by the way. Lumen is not. Um, so there, there, there's a, yeah, there's a, 
there's a lot of really cool stuff there. I, I think it's too early to say whether this is a viable alternative or not. Well, we've got another question here from Lee Morris that ties into this. Hi, I'm loving the new weekly show and the Patreon seems to be going great. Congrats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this might conflict with things you know but can't say. <laughs> but <laughs> I love that. Uh, uh, but when do you expect us to see games running on Unreal Engine 5? Question mark. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> For quite a while. Uh, I think uh, because... The games that are that transition to that branch, uh, they to some of these are like really like the, the like design your game to be using Nanite or Lumen is has to be right a part of your design brief in the beginning. This is not something you switch to midway through development and nope. uh, just be like, oh yeah, this is great. It's totally going to change a lot of what you're going to be doing. Uh, so I think the games that will end up having it and using one or both of those features are going to be two years down the road, probably, maybe even longer. I think uh, Epic has already kind of released the roadmap, right? Fortnite will get a Unreal Engine 5 upgrade at some point, and one would imagine that as they are developing the engine, that will be the first Unreal Engine 5 game we're likely to see. Uh, we've already seen that um, uh, Hellblade 2 is transitioning to Unreal Engine 5, but there's no, as far as I'm aware, no set release date for that. So it's all early days, isn't it? And I'm not even sure whether Unreal Engine 5 has actually had an early release. Well, it must have had an early release. I too. mean, isn't it kind of really just like Unreal Engine 5's building upon it what is. they're already doing in UE4? They're yeah. just essentially rolling more features in. It's not like a giant shift to a completely new technology some of the technologies that it offers are a shift but the actual i think it is just a continuation it is it's just another branch above um i guess what was i going to say regarding um you know like looking at last gen i saw a really great post on reset era <clears throat> from a character artist i forget where they work but um just kind of saying like it took a while for unreal engine 4 to be uh taken up and used in a way that we would say is great and i would argue something like gears 4 or Paragon, where like the moments where um, the you know Epic uh, with Unreal Engine can develop really great tech. So you look at the tech and art, like the kite demo and things like that, or Samaritan. But it took quite a while uh, for those things to become performant and uh, artist friendly and not buggy to games to actually use them and look kind of like their tech demos. You looked usually it takes like at least from the Epic side, I always feel like two or three years after the announcement before it starts becoming ubiquitous. Yeah, I guess we just have to wait and see on that one. And uh, obviously we'll be following that one with much interest. Um, I think we're gonna round off the questions here with one from David Hopkins. Are there any other original Xbox or Xbox 360 games you wish were made backwards compatible on the Xbox series console? I would love to play Burnout 3, Crazy Taxi 3, Jet Set Radio Future, Super Monkey Ball Deluxe. Man, he's got a long list here. Skate 2, Tony Hawk's Underground 2. Uh, on, I guess he wants to play those on the, the consoles of today. So, um, John, what do you reckon? Wow, he, he, he's been thinking about that a lot. Huh? <laughs> uh, I would actually, you know, thinking about it, I would like to see the Otogi games uh, from the original Xbox on there from, by From Software. Those are quite solid, actually. I would enjoy that a lot. Uh, I agree. Jet Set Radio Future, we've always wanted to see. I just don't think it's ever going to happen. And I expect it's due to the music licensing issues because 
music licenses plus Japan equals uh, pure chaos, uh, from what I understand. Uh, I would love to see, dang, some of the, again, a lot of this stuff is just like licensing issues. Like I was going to say Outrun 2006, you know, or Outrun 2 itself would be amazing on that. But Ferrari license that probably prevents that from working. Um, I, I would like to see, and I, I don't, I don't even know if FPS boost is available for original Xbox games. That would be interesting, but something like, you know, the like breakdown from Namco. I was a big fan of that one. That would be cool to see that FPS boosted and with a higher res. Um, you know, heck, I actually, I like Blinks, the original Blinks. Like, they've got a lot of negative attention, but it's actually a cool little game. And I think that would benefit as well, uh, among others. And then, you know, there's, there's just a wide range of things to think about. But uh, what about, like, time splitters at 120 hertz or something? Yeah. That would be cool. It's quite surprising to <laughs> see some of those titles, like... Time Splitters, I'm actually surprised, hasn't been brought back in some way through uh, back compat. And also, I always feel like it would be really cool to see Doom 3's initial port brought up again because it's very unique. It has like its own uh, Doom 2 or Doom 1 ports in it, I think, as well, too, as along with the co-op mode. That's very rare. And uh, there's like all those James Bond games from that time period that no one plays anymore, but they existed and they were on all like the PS2, GameCube, uh, Xbox, and who's played those in 20 years? I haven't, obviously. So um, that, those would be kind of titles I'd be interested in. Shadows of the Damned is another one that's already backwards compatible, but it's just 720p, whatever, you know, original frame rate. I'd like to see that boosted and a higher frame rate because I love that game. Never got a PC port. Well, I'll tell you what, John, there is the opportunity here. Um, obviously, there was Microsoft's program to uh, enhance 360 games for Xbox One X. I don't think they're done with that. I think that there's there's more opportunities there to actually go back, take Xbox 360 era games and make them better for current gen systems. And I'll tell you what, you know, looking at the FPS boost games, pretty, pretty much everything Assassin's Creed related runs at 60 frames per second up to AC Unity, except AC One. And oh, um, yeah. yeah, so but that does have a 4K mode on Xbox One X. So I would really like to see that 4K mode from One X getting the FPS boost treatment. So, you know, you get a full 4K 60 on that one. I think that would be great. And I just think the concept of going back to the Xbox 360 era, which was, you know, um, it was a golden era, I think, for Microsoft to actually go back, revisit those games make them better, expand the catalogue of the uh, of the One X enhanced titles, toss in FPS, boo FPS boost. I think there's a there's a huge amount of potential there. I'd love to see those titles. And yeah, I, you know, I agree with uh, David Hopkins here. I mean, I am assuming that basically everything that we can't play at the moment is down to licensing issues, which must be stuff like Burnout 3 that must account for, yeah. for yeah. the issues Again, there. Again, music licenses. Yeah. So, but, you know, we music get... licenses and car licenses. Oh. Man. Those are the, that's why we're never going to see something like Project Gotham Racing in there, because yeah, like, that's right? got both. <laughs> that sucks. But, you know, but Burnout 3, we did get Burnout Revenge, and I would love to see a 1X enhanced version of that. Uh, you know, and, and deployed on on Series X, 120 uh, frames per second. That would be pretty oh, awesome. So, you know, I do think that there is um, uh, a lot of potential there. Mm -hmm. 
I do think, however, that the, the Xbox compatibility team must have like a mountain of stuff to do in their inbox at the moment. And oh, yeah. um, But, you know, what I think is really exciting is that the possibilities there are really exciting and um, and Microsoft are, are keen to, to follow yeah. through, I think. I so, think uh, yeah. in comparison to the other manufacturers, I think Microsoft has the easiest route to make sure that none of their backwards compatibility catalog becomes lost media, uh, unlike the other ones, because they started later and they already have emulation layers set up and all these things. So it'd be really cool one day if every single original Xbox game could be purchased or still played or popped in a disc in an original like in a series x that'd be really that's I, I, that dream. would be cool alex that would be that would be great the problem is as i feel like original xbox has not really gotten the treatment it deserves i think because mm-hmm. like, compared to the 360 it's only like a handful of games that work yeah it's so machines. few like yeah. most of the library is not compatible. i would love that's, that that's though. a shame because yeah. yeah. the original xbox is a really interesting machine it had a surprising amount of uh, Japanese-developed games as well. So yeah. it's, a, it's a fascinating time. I have to wonder, actually. I mean, I do think that the licensing issues are basically related to um, digital licensing, the concept of moving existing content onto a new format that wasn't originally envisaged. So, you know, I'm wondering how uh, bespoke there it is again, to individual titles, the emulator layer is, and whether they could just, you know, throw throw open the emulator to work with disc-based games. Very curious that, about that. That would be cool, but I think it's because they have to download something right. that makes right. it tricky. It's yeah. not just running from the disc. Yeah. Good so point. unfortunately, I feel like the concept of love is not compatible yeah. with the concept of licensing. <laughs> so. Yeah, like think about like <laughs> Mech Assault. I mean, Mech Assault is, is one of them. Is it? Is, is Mech Assault back compatibility? Uh, or Mech Assault 2 even? I actually don't I actually know. Don't know I don't but those remember. are games that are pretty unique. I mean, it's way different than Mech Warrior, uh, but fun in its own right. So mm. I guess that's it. I guess that's the end of the discussion for now. But uh, I think there's a lot of potential there beyond what we've already seen. And uh, hopefully we'll see Microsoft deliver there. But I guess that's everything. That's the show. That's all we've got to talk about for now. Um, please do check out our Patreon, Digital Foundry. Uh, actually, no, patreon.com slash Digital Foundry. And uh, see what we've got to offer there. We've got a lot going on. Discord is amazing. Community is amazing. Lots of uh, little behind the scenes stuff that you're going to love if you love Digital Foundry. If you're kind of like a more casual viewer, uh, maybe it's not for you, but you know, it's there. Check it out. And uh, John, Alex, thank you so much for joining me on this one. Anytime. Of course. (laughs) It's been a bit of a weird week because uh, there was a public holiday on Monday. So it kind of feels like we're sort of well, got a day lag on everything it's well for you guys yeah. maybe <laughs> alex I and i are the here holidays <laughs> yeah <laughs> no. wow yeah yes but uh thank you for joining me on this of one course. and as usual if you did enjoy the content please like subscribe share ring the notification bells for instant yes instant notifications whenever digital foundry publishes a new video on the youtube channel uh, we've talked about the Discord and the Patreon. It's all awesome. Check it out. Uh, but that's all from us for now. Thanks for watching. <laughs>